Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Your Sober Now What. My name is Tamara Medford and I am just one of your co-hosts alongside with my friend Lane Kennedy. Today is a very special episode again. It's the beginning of the month and as you know, we uh, do time takes time. And so Lane heads this up and we have a panel of amazing people and we talk about all things long-term recovery and this month we're focusing on humility. (sighs) Humility, that's a big one, Uh, especially for myself in those early years of sobriety. So we talk about that. Uh, But before we get into that, did you know that Lane and I have a free masterclass? It's called Overcome Obsessive Bad Habits. You can have access to that actually today. Today is the first day that you can get in on that. Uh, If you visit our website at thenowwhatacademy.com, you'll see a link there. It's also located on yoursobernowwhat.com. Just scroll down a little bit and you'll find a link. Come check that out. We have so many amazing goodies for you. But uh, yeah, we'll see you there. And I hope you enjoy this episode of Time Takes Time. Time takes time. That's where we're at. Here we go. All right, everyone. We're joined together with Magical Forces, the magical force called recovery. Uh, My name is Lane Kennedy, and I'm really glad to be with the four of you. Uh, We're going to kick off with just a little introduction. Elise, why don't you lead lead the progression? You know it. Uh, Good morning, Lane and everyone. My name is Elise Bryson. I am 16 years sober and I hail from the Emerald City of Seattle, Washington. I love it. Okay, Mike. Hi, everyone. I'm from uh, originally Boston, Massachusetts. I live in Sedona, Arizona, and I stopped doing the drugs that were going to kill me in 2004. And your name? Mike Avoni. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> All right, Laura. Hi, everyone. My name is Laura Silverman. I am in the Washington, D.C. area. And as of July 14th, I will celebrate 15 years of sobriety. That's right. And Tamar. Hi, everyone. My name is Tamar Medford. I'm from the nicest place on the planet, <laughs> Canada. And yes. I just celebrated. 10 years sobriety on June 12th. 10 years coming in at the line, the line Mm -hmm. right there. Uh, So this conversation today, we're going to be talking about uh, humility and what that may look like for you and why is it important as we live in recovery? The dogs are in the room with me, my friends. So they're just going to be a part of the conversation. If they get too wild, I will walk them out. Who knows what's going to happen? And then they Uh, will be, then they will have humility. And then they, yeah, then they will. Uh, So let's talk about what this word humility means to us. Anybody want to jump in? Mike, you want to jump in first? Well, yeah, I guess, I guess it's like the quality of being humble. Um, Which is, you know, it, it has its challenges, I guess, as a human uh, with an ego structure and uh, a sense of self. I, I think, you know, humility for myself is something um, that I have to really intentionally bring to my life day in and day out. Um, so yeah, that's kind of um, 
my take on just a little snippet of, of what humility means to be humble, um, to put arrogance aside, uh, to maybe admit when one's wrong. Mm -hmm. I think those are some qualities that uh, could mean you're humble. Yeah. How are you using it in today's life, in your life today? Yeah. Okay. So I, I, I knew this was going to come up. Um, <laughs> yeah, I knew this was going to come up because, you know, I've, I've learned some really great lessons. Um, I've had some wonderful teachers and mentors, and I've worked with some really high profile ones too. And um, this year, after uh, taking a um, very high profile coach uh, to court, uh, because of the lack of his humility, um, mm. it's taught me to um, be humble. And it's taught me of uh, what's important when working with uh, people on their own healing journey. Mm -hmm. And so many things were missing in that relationship of humility that it forced me to um, take action in court and if humility was there all along, it could have um, it could have gone a whole different direction for a much easier path for both him and I. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's the path that I want and need to take with people moving forward, even in my own work um, as a practitioner, is to stay humble. And um, you know, even in recovery, when you do the steps or you know you do healing with their, a therapist, it's really at the level of equals. It's peer to peer, and that's how it happens. And that's, that's how the transformation happens. So for me, integrating this in my practice as admitting when I'm wrong and taking responsibility and not biting off more than I can chew and showing up with integrity is, is important. So those are, those are the lessons that I'm learning uh, this year from, mm -hmm. from uh, my own journey. Mm -hmm. Yeah, humility is a lot. I'm glad that you kicked us off with that. Uh, Tamar, what's it, what's humility for you? For me, it's being of service without expecting something in return. Cause you know, as an ex people pleaser, it was always doing something, but then hoping that you would get that, you know, thank you. You're amazing. Or, you know, you'd get something in return. And so to be able to do a nice gesture or an act of kindness for people, and be okay with not getting that recognition, right? And just doing it because you want to do that. Um, really checking my motives as to why I'm doing things as well. I think that's important for my humility. Laura, you're shaking your head. Yeah, well, I'm listening intently and um, not preparing responses uh, before it's my turn, like I might've done in the past. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm just trying to, to listen really mindfully to everyone. I think I'll just tell myself and say, I'm not the poster child for humility. I mean, I'm definitely, so it's, it's a work in progress. I'm a work in progress. I mean, I'm sure we all are, but I can only speak for myself. What does that um, mean though? What, what, what is that? Not the poster child? What does that well, mean? I'll, I'll tell you. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is difficult to be extremely humble when you are the person that is supposed to market yourself and mm. people are not mind readers. And so you have to be comfortable talking about yourself. If you are in the business of especially entrepreneurship or, mm. 
being part of a small team or, or what have you um, in order to advance your professional message, perhaps mm -hmm. you have to be your own advocate and how can you be your, or how does one be their own advocate and really advance themselves without, <laughs> I, I don't know quite how to put it. Um, and maybe I'm at a loss for words right now. I am, I'm at a loss for words, but essentially it's, it's just like, how can you be humble when you're also trying to launch yourself forward. I think that's kind of the biggest thing that I battle with as someone who is trying to be my own best advocate work-wise and then also realizing that I'm just one person and certainly not the boss of the world I'm not trying to be. Um, but I think it's, a, it's an interesting balance. I'd be curious to hear what other people, mm -hmm. I think all of us have some, sort of level of entrepreneurship in ourselves. So how do we maintain humility while also advancing our own agendas without being like um, catty about it? Mm -hmm. Elise, you want to take that? You know, I do. <laughs> I, I figured you would. I figured you would. <laughs> um, I, you know, I definitely struggle with that. I, I can remember really clearly, this was a few years back, but a guy at work saying to me, um, you know, you know, humble, you are not like you were the first person to tout yourself and brag about your accomplishments or boast about your accomplishments. And I remember thinking like, but if I was a man, you wouldn't have any, like you wouldn't push back on me. You wouldn't, you wouldn't be having this conversation with me at all. And so I feel like at least as a woman in recovery that I, that there, yes, I believe that humility needs to have a place in my recovery. And it does frequently um, because I'm constantly putting my foot in my mouth and making mistakes, but in my workplace, like I can also have a confidence in my abilities and, and a confidence of what I bring to the table in whatever the surrounding is that I'm bringing something to the table. And I don't need to be bashful about that. Um, I can, I can own it because that's what I've worked so hard for. Like a big part of my career took off after getting sober, right? Because, well, I worked a lot better when I wasn't hungover or blacked out weird, you know? So, um, right. but I, and I'm proud of the work that I've done. And I, I think that I can talk about it and still have humility, but also have that confidence for the self-promotion that Laura is talking about. Because if I don't, if I don't toot my own horn as a single woman, who's going to toot it for me, you know? Um, so, but that the balance in between the two, I think is hard to find. And even, even at 16 years, I still find myself kind of in a push pull with, am I being humble or am I being boastful or is it okay that I'm a combination of both? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One thing that I'm like that's whispering in my ear is this idea of servant leadership and how do we become the servant? How do we become great leaders? Right. And, and I think that hits on what you're talking about, Laura, is like you have a mission or you have a voice that you want to share. And when we approach it from that place of servant leadership, it's not about me anymore. Right. It's, it's, it's about sharing a message of hope or sharing a message of good work or goodwill or whatever our message is, but taking ourselves out of it. At least that's been my experience. It's taken time. Time takes time mm -hmm. <laughs> to get there. 
Uh, but really understanding that, you know, what I have to share is not about me anymore. It's just not like the mission, your mission, your message. It's not about you anymore. It's bigger than you. So how, you know, what does it take for you to sit in the back seat and just be a member on the bus, so to speak? Right. That is, I think been one of the hardest, hardest things for me to like, just sit in the back of the bus for a while, you know, anybody else? Tamar's yeah, laughing. I, 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 Tamar's I, laughing. <laughs> oh my God. I, I, no, because it's, a, I think that we don't, you know, there's humility, but we also need to celebrate each other too, right? And mm-hmm. I ha- I'm kind of that person who sits on the back of the bus, as you know, and I just mm-hmm. kind of listen. But I was always afraid to talk about my accomplishments, right? Mm-hmm. And I think, like you said, if we're being of service, if I don't share what I'm doing and my story, how is anybody else going to go, oh, if she can do it, I can do it, right? Because there, yeah. there is some humility in that, right? Being able yeah. to help someone as a result of our experience. But that's why I was laughing the bus because you're usually driving the bus and I'm in the back <laughs> celebrating. Right, but this is what I'm saying. It's like, it's taken time to get to this place where I can like now sit in the back of the bus comfortably and know that we're still going to arrive to our destination and we're going to have a great time. Oh, go ahead, Mike. I know I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no. This is a collective conversation. Um, yeah, I, I think as, as a huge piece of the world today is technology, mm. right? And you have social media. Like, I'll just bring in social media, for example. Like, I don't know who else struggles with social media, but I do. And part of me wants to be out there as an influencer and sharing the wisdom and knowledge. And then part of me um, doesn't And the aspect of it's like a big distraction device for me. And it's challenging for me to keep up with. And um, I'm learning to sit in the back of the bus with social media Mm -hmm. in my business uh, as of like the last year, maybe or a little less, and just kind of like hang out. Um, and that's a little bit challenging because I think the world tells us like we need to be out there and promoting and sharing and liking and mm-hmm. answering questions and all this jazz. And at the same time, it's like, oh, I want to just look at these beautiful hummingbirds in my backyard or like the sunset. Um, this beautiful sunset is not for Instagram to see. It's for me to see. Right instead of like neural linking all our situations with needing to promote and share it with the world. Mm -hmm. And so for this last year, I've just sat back and said, no, this, this like flower is for me, Mm -hmm. you know, the sky is for me and don't get me wrong. I I've I've shared things even recently, but few and far between that I was before. And it it feels actually better. What was Um, the turning point though, Mike, what was the turning point where you're like, I'm, I'm taking this sunset and it's mine. The turning point was when I'm on my deathbed, I'm not going to wish that I posted 10 more posts. (laughs) I'm going to wish that I probably enjoyed the moments and didn't get corralled into believing that I needed to be on social media to be seen in the world or liked in the world or whatever. Did something happen? Right. Cause that's a big paradigm shift to say, I'm not going to be on social media. I'm not going to be doing that. That like, did something, did you have an experience that you were just like, I'm no. Well, I, I was just listening to myself continuously uh-huh. as I was doing the work and what felt right for me, what didn't feel right. And mm-hmm. to 
to, you know, to go on there and create content. It wasn't fun for me. Yeah, it's not like it joy. Is. Some people love it. Right. Yep. That's it. And, and, and some, and like myself, it's, it's not like fun for me. So I had to like, let that go. And, you know, a great saying that my, one of my mentors shared with me, Dr. Paul Epstein is, uh, mm -hmm. he'd say, uh, we don't need to perform for them. So they know how good we are. We need to love them. So they know how good they are. There it is. Right. And again, like, love. Yeah, it, it's like, how do we, you know, and once again, it doesn't mean going back to Laura, like I, I genuinely appreciate, you know, what you said last time in regards to um, like the whole, um, hold on, just had a little brain fart, bear with me. The whole dichotomy of like, you know, not being boastful, but actually like sharing your, your, your message in the world mm -hmm. and, and having a tough time finding that place you know of, of like authority and your background and your skill set and who you are but also not being like you know arrogant and i i think there's a i think there's an energetic feel that one can give when when we see like a someone like being completely boastful you're like oh this dude's like mm -hmm. or this gal's like completely out of her mind right and then there's someone that's generally sharing with their wisdom and insight and personal experience you're like oh that resonates with me so, you know, trying to find that is, 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 uh, challenging for myself on this social media platform. I guess that's where I'm bringing it. Um, so yeah. Anyone else have struggled with the, with the social? Yeah. All the time, every day. <laughs> it's the worst. It's the worst. <laughs> um, I definitely do. Do you that. feel like you need to be on there? I feel like it's one of those necessary evils when you have mm -hmm. a brand yeah. or you're your own brand. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's, it, it's both a, a, a tool for connection, a way mm -hmm. to get your message further away for people to find that they're not alone, but it's also just something you have to do if you're in that, well, have to is strong, but it's highly encouraged that one does that, but it's, it's just so difficult to break through the noise and, um, it can, it can be quite a challenge, but there was, there was something that Mike said, and now I'm the one with the brain fart. I completely forgot where I was going with it, but, um, does I'll this, have to, I'll have to come back to myself. This being <laughs> good. That's good. Yeah. We're here for you. Um, <laughs> do you have fun with your social? Do you have joy? Like, you know, Mike just brought up that point of like not having fun or it's not joyful for him. I, I have a girlfriend and she freaking loves this shit. And I got to tell you, I'm like, stop already is it just is stop. it that person right there <laughs> no it's not no, that it's this, not a, she's not here no, no okay. she's not here um, um i mean literally <laughs> like everything everything is on there she spent like she you know touts herself as a creator and she's out there making her reels and doing her th and i'm just like i cannot wrap my head around that but then i think yeah. about this theme of humility right and sometimes i'm like oh shut up i'm just like stopping already you know like yeah, but she, but again, she has a fierce message and it's an important message and she's out there like pounding the pavement, I guess. Well, right? speaking of, speaking of humility and social media, it's so challenging for me at times, um, to not get jealous. And I do, mm. I really do sometimes when I see some people who have been at this for a lot less time, um, not to say that, and I'm not talking about time 
in recovery and just talking about time on Instagram, just suddenly becoming viral sensations. And, you know, I've been at it or someone's been at it, you know, just chugging along slowly by slowly building an audience, building um, a following of not sheep, but like people who, who identify with a mess. That's why I don't like the word following. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it can get difficult to sort of put my ego aside. As a matter of fact, like, I just, I feel like y'all have the humility Kool-Aid and I didn't get a cup of it because I just don't feel like I practice it enough or, um, you know, how, I think there's also a difference between being humble Mm -hmm. and being, um, like meek and, Mm -hmm. and, too sort of quiet and off to the side. I think you can still have a loud message and be there for others, but at the same time to play devil's advocate, what's wrong with the little self-promotion? What's wrong with being like, hey, I'm here. I think it's just an interesting, it's an interesting discussion to have. And I think um, social media, Mike, you know, the fact that you brought that up, that's kind of how we all got connected, isn't it? Yeah. In one way, shape or form. So I think it's highly relevant to talk about how humility taps into or how social media can sort of take away or add to it. Mm-hmm. But I will mm-hmm. let other people talk now. Mm-hmm. I, I, If I may say, from my perspective, this is the lens that I see through is, uh, you know, addiction is a result of trauma. Right. We're in recovery from addiction. We're in recovery from trauma. Part of dealing with trauma is the inability to take up space, right? We often want to hide shame, right? Um, pain, that sort of thing. So it's like as we as we come out of our shells and heal and recover and put substances down, how do we find that balance of taking up space? And also um, feeling good about it, like we're worth it, right? So it's it's like for me in the early beginning, it was like, oh my god, I got this huge story that I need to hide behind, and then it became, oh, I got to tell this story, and then it, you know, and then it became telling the story, and then it became like telling the story everywhere, and then it became like, okay, I got to not tell my story as much because it's not really that important. And going forward, it's about the work. And then what Lane said in the early and beginning, it's about, it's no longer about me and my story. It's about you. So it's like this whole progression of, of this like birthing and, uh, and moving forward in a balanced, integrated way. That's it. It's, and it takes time, right? It's just a slow and steady, like slog. Seriously. You're shaking your head over there, Lise. because of the time takes time it's like it comes up like every five minutes like if this was a drinking game like we would be like all drunk at this point um you know i have to say like i was blessed to have my instagram hacked earlier this year and it was it did not feel like a blessing at the time like i was livid right i was like i was almost at ten thousand followers i worked so hard you know um best thing that ever happened to me because then once it was gone it was like I I stopped putting so much importance on it or weight on it and um I'm still on it obviously for both the sober curator and for my personal account um 
because I love taking pictures. But I got to tell you, I'm really glad that social media was not a thing when I first got sober in early recovery, because I would have been a shit show on social media, uh, both sober and in early recovery. I mean, it would have been a disaster. I was a drunk dialer, right? So just imagine that on social media. It would have just been a disaster. Uh, so I don't know, like now with, with social media, like I, it's, it's there, but it's doesn't have the hold on me. Like it used to have, I don't, it doesn't have the importance anymore. Like, I just don't care as much. Um, and I, I, you know, when I see, I do think that there's a difference between being in recovery and performing recovery. Right. And when I see a lot of performances online, I'm like, like, I just, but you know, I know they're working for some, like so somebody probably needs to see that or hear that, and that's and that's fine. So, like, I also have to be like, my way is not the only way. There's a lot of different pathways. There's a lot of different viewpoints, um, and just try to be inclusive of everybody's, you know, where they're at. Meet them where they're at. Their path, yeah. It's performing recovery. There's a lot of it out there. Uh, I, I feel like I want to change the conversation just slightly, just a little bit, uh, because we're all, we all have some time and we're, we're all moving forward in our lives. And, uh, you know, we've had lots of opportunity to change and grow and do different careers and, uh, perhaps, I don't know, get married, not get married. Um, you know, life changes in recovery. And I want to get into this, this conversation around not knowing what to do next, because I I feel like there's a lot of people who just pretend like, I'm just going to do this and I'm going to make it work and it's going to be good. So I want you to think of a time in your recovery when you did that, because I know we've all done it. I just know you may not want to talk about it. But I know it's there. Tamar, you want to start? (laughs) (laughs) I've had no changes recently, though. I don't know why you'd start with me. (laughs) You can start with anything, anything. Just this last two, well, this last year has been very just profound. And, you know, my G.O.D. higher power working in my world. But, you know, it started with leaving my corporate job, right? And deciding I wanted to be of service to other people. And how did you know you wanted to leave? Because I just, I didn't want to wake up on Monday morning and go to work anymore. Like my heart Mm -hmm. didn't feel full. I didn't, I, I wasn't excited to wake up in the morning. Like I had anxiety. I struggled with depression and all that stuff. Right. And it just, I'm like, I know that I need to be doing something else with my life. I didn't go through 22 years of, you know, (laughs) (laughs) making a mess of my life for nothing. I need to share my story. And it was a friend of mine who was a coach that encouraged me to do it. And so I took that leap of faith, not knowing what was going to happen because I had those financial insecurities, right? What happens if I I slip back into that? I just, I didn't know. And so I decided to take that step forward. And, and, you know, for me, ever since I made that decision, all these other changes have started to happen in my life. You know, like moving out on my own, leaving my relationship, you know, coming to terms with my identity. Like there's just so much change. And I think, I don't know, sometimes there's this 
humility and not knowing and just being okay with what comes. And I've had to really work on that and not force it. Yeah. Laura, you're shaking your head. Oh, I'm always, I'm very expressive with gestures. I'm just like I love listening. It. And I mean, yeah, Tamar, I, I completely relate. I think most humans have gone through a lot of changes in these past two and a half years. And certainly to speak for myself, um, you know, just at, at the most surface level, work changes. I got laid off due to the pandemic early on and had to figure out what am I going to do for work now and had to pivot. <laughs> pivot! I'm like imagining Ross with the sofa. Pivot! Everyone had to pivot, um, but had to find something that worked. Um, and it didn't for a while, and I didn't for a while. Anyway, it's just, it's been interesting. And then What were finally, you doing? Um, I was doing marketing and outreach for behavioral health and okay. I found that it was an extremely, extremely burnout, um, industry. Um, I did not enjoy it when it got more corporate. I, I started doing the work, um, for local programs and wanted to help families that, you know, I, to connect them to, to services, but I, um, yeah, it just, it started to become super corporate. And anyway, I, I, the job, um, there was no longer a position for me. And so it was, it turned out to be a huge blessing. Um, even though it didn't necessarily feel so at the time, but it, it, it absolutely was. And then just other changes. Um, what was the original question? <laughs> Jeez. This is what happens to me. I have not eaten, um, since breakfast and I'm a little, uh, Frazzled. Moment of change. I mean, moment that's, I think it's a moment of change where you, you like, like what Tamara just said about, you know, it was a do or die. Like she was showing up for whatever, how many years and she was sick to her stomach now. So she knew she had to change. Okay. Well, let me go there then because I recently had yeah. something that just felt like I had to do it. And I had been so scared of the outcome, although if there are things that I learned in my early days of recovery, it was letting go of the outcome, but, um, that is not something I do well. I, you know, I told my parents that I'm bisexual and I'm 39. It's not a big deal, but it felt like a huge, huge deal. And I don't like to use the words come out cause it wasn't like I was anywhere. Uh, surprise it's me. No, but I, um, you know, and I had worked with therapists for so many years and they're like, if it feels right to you, tell them if maybe that means that I'm in a relationship with a woman. So it's like more obvious, but maybe it's just something that I want to say. And I just felt like I wasn't being my authentic self. It was still pride month. So this literally just happened last month. Um, and I'd been wanting to tell them for years and years, but not really knowing, like, is it the right time. Like I've never been in a relationship with a woman, but from, you know, one of my friends and someone who's quite public in the Instagram sobriety world, Tani Lara, about being bisexual and being in a heteronormative relationship, like it doesn't negate someone's sexuality just because they're in said relationship. And that was really inspirational to me. And I just felt like I... I couldn't not say it anymore. And I was really, really afraid 
that my parents would somehow reject me, but it was just like full of love and tears. And then we just moved on and had the rest of our day. Like it wasn't a big deal. And I just carried so many years of like internalized biphobia, homophobia, shame, like so much shame. And it just felt no matter if like I'm in no relationships or a relationship with a man or like, it doesn't matter anymore. Like, I just know that I, I feel freer and I, I don't know what it was, but something just felt like now is the time, like I can't not say it. And I think that is a full credit to the fact that not only have I grown as a person chronologically, you know, um, I'm almost 40, but, um, <laughs> but I've also grown in my recovery too. And, and, um, it's just, I'm, I'm really thankful, like really, really grateful that I was able to, mm -hmm. to be myself with the two people that, you know, I really love the most. Um, and, and now yeah, you get to be you, right? Like there's yeah. no, there's no hiding I mean, in that. I was like, always me, but I always felt somehow like, and I'd, I'd started to be more public about it on social media. And the last mm -hmm. thing I wanted was that for them to somehow stumble on Instagram, which they don't do and see it yeah. and not have had that conversation with them in person. So mm -hmm. now I feel like it's, it's there and it's great. Mm -hmm. It's whatever. Yeah. Yay. <laughs> No, I find it's so interesting that we each have these points in our recovery and they continue. Something else is going to come up where you're like, oh, I have to change. Now's the time. Right. But there's this awkwardness around it and it's uncomfortable, but there's also this humility. Like I, I feel like there's a humility of saying, okay, I don't know what I'm doing in my life right now. I got to get real honest and make some changes. And I got to tell my parents, right. I got to, I like it. Like, because if you didn't tell your parents, you'd still be living a lie and that would be uncomfortable. Right? And the lie may not, you may not think it's a lie, but that one thread of not telling your parents puts some kind of delusion somewhere. Right. It's like, Ew. yeah. 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 I think uh, I, I see what you're saying. And, and living a lie is kind of strong, strongly worded, but it's true. It's like, I wasn't, I'm known for that Laura, just so you know, <laughs> I just wasn't able like to fully feel like I could yeah. be my entire authentic self, even though I was very much like, have you heard, um, it was in maybe her first book, but Glennon Doyle talks about, mm -hmm. um, the ambassador that is like presented out into the world. You're the ambassador of yourself. It's like you can be different versions of yourself with different people. And I think just in the time that I've been sober, I've been able to grow so much. My parents are my biggest fans, my right. biggest supporters. And I really just, I thought I got to, I just have to tell them. So mm -hmm. that was, that was my moment of change most recently. Most and recently. it felt very, very pivotal because it had just been, years in the making for me. Mm -hmm. It's good. It's good. Elise. Something recent. Oh, I'm not, I'm not over here changing anything in my life at all lane. So I don't <laughs> know why you're calling on me. Um, I just quit my job that I'm really, really, really good at. Uh, and I'm starting a new job that I have no idea if I'm going to be good at. 
Uh, I just bought a house. Uh, I'm moving to a city that is not far from here, but I don't know anything about it. Um, yeah, so I'm just kind of like changing it all at the same time. And um, not, I didn't, you know, when 2022 started, I didn't, I wasn't like, this is the year I'm going to do this, this, and this. Like, I don't even think I made a vision board this year. I was like, meh, who has time for vision? Not me. Um, but it, oh, there's Laura's. Oh, that's a good one. I like that. Uh, and, and, but what's been really interesting about the journey in the last few months is it's not me. Like I am just in a place where I'm listening to, to my higher power, the boss, and just doing the next indicated thing and just looking for the opportunities and then, and then walking through them in faith, even though I have no idea what the outcome is going to be. Um, and that is not something I would have been able to do in early recovery, at least not well. And I don't know that I'm doing it well now, but I'm doing it, right? I'm, I'm doing it and I'm excited uh, that I'm making all these big changes because it's the right time and that, and it feels good, even though it's scary and there's been a lot of tears. Um, and it's like, I have no idea like what my life will be even three months from now. I really don't because it's completely different than it was three months ago. Um, but it's exciting, even though it's a little bit scary, but it's the right kind of scary. Yeah. I'm thinking about how like leaving security, mm -hmm. right. And having that security blanket and now you, you like, there's nothing yeah. right. And building that muscle of faith, knowing that I'll still be loved. I'll be taken care of. Uh, that all takes time. And you were comparing that to like early sobriety, how like moving, it can be disastrous in early recovery. Let's just face it. <laughs> Relationships can be challenging. Uh, and so when we think about, you know, living in long-term recovery, uh, why is it important, Mike? Why is it important to have long-term long -term recovery? Why is it important to stay on the path? I don't even know if I'm the right person to ask this question. <laughs> you have time. You, yeah. And, and, and why, why I say that is, is to be totally transparent. You know, I, I don't know what recovery is anymore. You know, to me, um, my work and my um, evolution has got me into a place where uh, I don't identify as, as an alcoholic or a drug addict. That's for, for sure. Um, and recovery, I, I don't think there's, um, I don't think, um, me, let me just slow this down is I don't think that addiction is a life sentence. So wh where I'm going with that is, is, um, but do that, any of us think that it is a, a life sentence? Anybody here think addiction is a life sentence? No, but I, I think I see what Mike is saying. Just, I, I don't identify as a recovering alcoholic or an alcoholic. Yeah. It's just yeah. not part of my identity either. And maybe that's, is that something like what you mean? Yeah. Well, I'm, I guess I'm going like for, from my personal, you know, experiences, um, you know, I, I smoked my first joint after 17 years, uh, this new year's and I didn't like it. I didn't want to smoke joints. You know, I don't smoke joints every day. It doesn't mean I might, may not smoke one again. It's just like, 
I, I tried it and it was like, okay, so now am I out of recovery? Right. It's like, so where I'm going with this is like the continued path for me is um, not taking substances that hinder my consciousness. That mm-hmm. is important. It doesn't mean, uh, you know, I'm, I'm holding space in my beautiful home in Sedona here for five people who are in recovery uh, to explore with MDMA uh, mm-hmm. next week and five uh, DMT. Right. It doesn't. And that doesn't mean we're all going to, you know, we're all relapsing and going into no man's land. In fact, we're probably going to be escorted into an alternate state of consciousness that might support greater healing and integration. So for me, continuing the path is, uh, and, you know, to be totally transparent, because I love this is like, I'm exploring with tobacco right now. I haven't smoked cigarettes in years, but I find myself just like exploring with it. And I'm like, oh, okay, this is interesting. Right. And it's not something that's every day. It's like, you know, okay. So it's, you know, do I think drinking alcohol is beneficial for me in my consciousness? No, I don't. I have, do I think opiate opioids with my history of opioid addiction is good? No, but it's, it's like, I, you know, so I'm kind of exploring and expanding this, whatever recovery is into this personalized exploration of what works for you and what works for me. So staying on the path um, to be a present, loving human being for myself and for the ones I love is first and foremost, and and continuing on the path of exploration and um, self discovery is 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 the journey for me now. Whether that's under the umbrella of recovery, I don't even know, right? It, but yeah. it's it's deep and it's complex and it's it's you know there's different parts emerging and uh, so I can only say this because you know I think Bill Wilson was right. You know you have to have a spiritual experience of some sort, a psychic change, and that's what happened to me ten years into recovery <laughs> from illness. Going back to your other question is you know when did you know you know it's time to change? I mean when you have irritable bowel disease and multiple chemical sensitivity and you can't even be in this world mm-hmm. and you're retreating in the woods, that was my that was the end of my rope and I was dead sober, sober as a judge, and yet mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. I needed to I needed to surrender to mm-hmm. I can't keep doing things the way I'm doing them. So mm-hmm. I had a profound shift in consciousness that led me to the exploration and healing of trauma and back to the wholeness of who I am before the trauma. And that's before the addiction. So now as I as I fall in love with me and I explore, I'm getting I'm finding I'm, I'm the guy that likes to walk the line a little bit, right? I like to test the waters, but I'm not gonna, I, I don't think testing them for me with opioids or alcohol is the thing to do, but I'm exploring with psychedelic medicines and da, 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 da. so yeah, it's kind of like- th- I think what, what I'm hearing is this, you know, recovery in this new like pandemic, post-pandemic world is it's very open now. It, there's a lot of different pathways. And I also like what you're saying about being flexible, right? I'm all about mindfulness. And we talk about having a flexible mindset and uh, being open to the possibilities of other things. And in a lot of the work that I do is around meditation and the, the quality of the mind and consciousness. So I understand your language perfectly, but for somebody who, again, you have time, you you've had time you've explored. And Bill Wilson said that very poignantly, like this is just the beginning of the spiritual path that you will have. Right. So AA and the 12 steps is like the doorway that opens you up to beyond 
So, and I think that's what you're experiencing. That's what I've experienced. Uh, Elise, have you experienced beyond the 12 steps? Absolutely. You know, I, Mm -hmm. I am a 12 step person. Uh, I still am, but it's not the only thing, Mm -hmm. um, by any means. And, and I grew up in a very religious family. Both my grandfathers were pastors. Um, so for me, I've definitely had this, do, uh, over the years, do I believe because of what I was told to believe out of fear or do I believe what I believe? Cause I believe it. Um, but it's been an evolutionary process. Is that a and, question you still ask yourself? I'm just curious. Um, sometimes, sometimes yeah. it comes up because yeah. it's, it's so ingrained, you know, yeah, there's, I'm, I'm the son of a preacher. I, I, okay. I, so you, I, yeah, I totally you know, yeah, yeah, you know, I mean, I spent seven days a week at church because I went to a Christian school where my mom was the teacher. And then we were at church on Wednesday, uh, all the other days too. So it was like, you know, I lived off of vanilla wafers out of the nursery, um, which I actually had to go and make amends for and buy the church, a bunch of vanilla wafers. Cause I stole so many. I didn't even know how many I stole. Um, but yeah, I mean, the 12 steps, I've never met someone who hasn't had an experience by working all 12 steps thoroughly. I've met a lot of people who says it don't, it doesn't work. And a lot of those people, from what I can tell in the stories they've told me, haven't actually worked all of the steps. Um, I have worked them and I've worked them multiple times and they have gotten me to the point where they've opened up my mind to other things as a jumping off point. It's not an end all be all. It's not like I got to step 12 and like got a medal or something, right? It's a process. Um, But it's a process that allowed me, I had a spiritual experience coming in and then I've had a series of spiritual experiences since then, but not necessarily always of the burning bush variety. Sometimes they're they're quiet and they're subtle and they happen over time when, when you're not even paying attention to it, you look back and you're like, Whoa, I'm a really different person now. And I handle situations differently now than I used to. Mm -hmm. So it's, I, I, yeah, it's a process. It's not the only way. Yeah. Experience occasional hunts or inspirations that gradually become a working part of the mind Mm -hmm. that's in step 11. I think that's what you're experiencing. That's what you're sharing about. You know, my friends, our time is here already. Can you believe that? It goes by so quickly. Uh, I've loved hanging out with you, but before we end, we have to go through the quick fire round. Are you ready? Let me crack my neck. Hold on. Let me crack my neck. I've done this before. You I'm going to give you two choices. You need to stretch. Stretch. <laughs> and then you just rapid fire. Give me the answers. Are you ready? Why not? Ready. Okay. Calvin Klein or Levi's 501s? Levi's. Laura. Levi's. Tamar. Levi's. Elise. I'm going to go Calvin Klein. Yes. Yeah, Calvin Klein. Yes. Okay. Strawberry ice cream or chocolate? Chocolate. Chocolate. Strawberry. Chocolate. Chocolate. Oh, wow. Okay. Are we going to stream it or go to the theater and see it? Theater, <laughs> Top Gun, every yeah. time on the big screen. Neither. Neither. (laughs) (laughs) Laura. Oh, I said stream. Stream. Okay. You're streaming it. Okay. Tamar. I'm doing the theater. Theater, theater all the way. Okay. Uh, Okay. We have two classic cars, old BMW or old Porsche. Old Porsche all the way. 
Porsche. I just, I just want a convertible. <laughs> Can either one of those be a convertible? <laughs> no, I, nope. One or the other. Okay, a, a Porsche. Don't think okay. Porsche. 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 Tamar. We're doing Porsche, yeah. Okay. Uh, we're going to go back in time and we're going to either play Pac-Man or Donkey Kong. Pac-Man. Pac-Man. Like Lisa's shirt. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like, I think I choose, I like them both, but I'm going to choose Donkey Kong. That was like, a, that would bring back like some good old memories. Yes. <laughs> Tamar. Donkey Kong was pretty cool, actually. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And closing our speed round, are we going to the library or a bookstore? Library? People still go to the library? I'm so confused yes. right now. I want to say library, but I, I'll be honest and, and say bookstore because I will buy stuff. I, I, I have a thing about buying books okay. and not reading them. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, library. okay. Library, Mike. Okay, Tamar? Bookstore. Bookstore. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of the library. I can go for hours at a time. So thank you, my friends, for hanging out and sharing this time with me and listeners and your recovery, right? This is, uh, it's time takes time and whatever it takes to stay away from the substance that slowly puts you to the grave is good. It's good. Thanks for hanging out with me. We'll see you soon. Thanks for having Thank you us. so much. Bye. Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode and remember head on over to the now what academy.com check out our free masterclass. You're going to love it. You'll get so much. Make sure you bring your notepad and a pen and uh, just absorb all the goodness that waits inside for you. We'll see you on the next episode.